I would invite all the children who would like to go to children's church to follow Scotty out the door right over here. And look at this, everybody. Boom. Nailed it. I don't know that I will ever live that down, so I got to keep living into it each week. And uh, I got two, th- two things before we get started real fast. One is, I don't normally drink coffee because you can see, I probably don't really need it, but I had a cup this morning at like six o'clock and I'm still got like these little jitters right here. And I don't, I'm not like a nervous person. I don't normally get nervous talking in front of people. So if I seem extra excited this morning, it is because I love Jesus and also because I had that cup of coffee like five hours ago and it's still just like running through my blood. And also the worship team told me that I needed to at least try one week with this Britney Spears mic and, and I don't really love it. But I'm gonna do my best. So if you see me fidgeting with it, it's just because it's not my favorite thing. Um, I'm used to the handheld. I like the handheld. But I'd say for one week, I'll try it. If it's noticeably different, I will continue trying it. And we'll see how it goes. So will you go with me this morning to the book of Luke? We're gonna be in chapter nine. Let me verse, starting verse 28. This is just one chapter before where we've been for the past two weeks. We've really been sitting in the book of Luke. Well, actually, sorry. Um, our first and second week, and Sheila came and she preached an awesome sermon from the book of John last week about being present. And so I want us to return for just one more week to the book of Luke, and it'll be on the screen right here behind me. And um, if you go ahead and throw it up there, to make sure we have the same translation. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became a bright, as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus, They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully aware, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving, Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Check this out. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And all God's people said? I'm already playing with it. I'm sorry. So as we wrap up our series called What Comes Next, we've been sitting with the past four weeks about looking back at the great tradition of Dauphin Way, being present at the awesome ministries going on now. And today, I would like to speak from the subject, dreaming forward, dreaming forward. Can you think of one of the most exciting moments of your life? Um, Maybe it was some incredible experience that happened one time. Maybe it was a season of your life. Maybe for some of you, it was the first time you made all A's. I never experienced that feeling, but I hear it's awesome. Maybe it was, if you are a parent, um, when your child was born, I hear that's a nice day too. I'm anxiously awaiting what that might be like. Um, Maybe it was your wedding day. For me, that was the best day of my life. I can think of a number of things that would rouse us to excitement, just joy, pure joy. Maybe it was when your favorite team won a championship game of whichever sports enthusiast you might be. Um, Maybe it was when you yourself played on a team that won a game. For me, it was something like that. One of my most blissful experiences, one of my like 
all-time joys. I did not think life could get any better came whenever I was 12 years old and I was in middle school. And it's somewhat ironic that it happened when I was in middle school because I can't think of many other moments where I look back fondly on middle school. Um, I was not what you would call a winner at middle school. I, uh, I w- I'll have a lot of stories to share about you know, the struggles of middle school. And so if you are a middle schooler here with us, know that I share your pain. Those years are rough. They're great because they're formational, but um, you know, I, just, I did not do it well, apparently. But this one time, I can think back on my 12-year-old self and like, have the most fond memories because it was the greatest day of my life, I thought. Like, I couldn't go to bed because I was afraid like, that life could not get any better. I've reached the peak of life's excitement, and it will all be downhill hill from here. That's what I thought as a 12-year-old. And so what happened was it centered around a baseball game, and I love sports, like kind of too much. And one of the hardest things about moving here, well, other than like leaving our family, we had family in Montgomery, they were real nice, but even equally as hard as that is uh, the fact that we don't have cable anymore um, just because we're not home enough to watch it, which also means, though, that I don't have access to live sports. And so I've been lamenting all these exciting things going on in the sporting world that I've not got to watch or be a part of, but... I love sports so much that my entire life I thought, you know, I'm going to be, you know, a professional sports player until I realized I was not any good. Um, But that did not, I'm serious, and that did not change my um, desire, though, to want to be just like Chipper Jones. I was, I'm a Braves fanatic, and like fan is not like a, it does not describe it well, fanatic. I love the Braves. I've got a poster in my office. I've got one of the tomahawks, the foam tomahawks. We used to go to like a dozen games a year, I feel like. I just, we were right there within, I, I can tell you how long it takes to get from my house to Turner Field. I have not yet been to the new stadium. No, I have not seen how awesome it is. So if you've gone, please don't make me feel jealous. But there was this one day that um, I, we had this baseball game. And normally when I, I played, they let me play in right field and bat ninth. Because that's where you can do the least amount of damage. I don't know how much you know about baseball, but like people who bat ninth are typically like the pitcher who can't really hit the ball or the kid who normally rides the pine. That's me. And right field is where the least amount of balls go. And so like if something comes out there, it will be rare and there'll be other people to help me out. And so normally I played left out and this time they let me play right field. And so, did you get that? (laughs) So, um, however, if anybody ever asked me, what position do you play in baseball? I'd always tell them third base, even though I never played third base, but I always wanted to be like Chipper Jones. And so they said, what position are you? I say, I'm a third baseman, even though never played third base. Until one faithful day in middle school, our third baseman was absent, and a bunch of our subs were absent as well. I think there's a smart kid field trip I wasn't invited on, but I got to be there for the game. And y'all, I cannot set this scene up like any, but Disney could not have written a more inspirational sports movie than the story I want to tell you right now. So, bottom of the seventh, which is basically the end of the game. There's only seven innings in middle school, not nine. And... I got to go into third base. I was so excited. I I played the whole game, and I was awful. Balls went through my legs. I struck out every at-bat, and I mean, it was was pretty hopeless. But despite my terrible play, we were still up one run in the bottom of the seventh. Like, I'm I'm serious. Disney should pay me for this story. Bottom of the seventh. Two outs. I'm on third base. We have our pitcher walk a guy. So there's a guy on first, and the next guy comes up and hits a ball out to outfield, and there's runners on second and third. We're up one run, bottom of the seventh. I'm on third base. And this guy comes up. I don't know if he's the best player on their team, but I sure thought so when he hit this ball right at me. He gets up and crushes this line drive, 
and it is coming directly for me. And I don't know if you've ever had one of those like out-of-body experiences where your mind moves so fast. Like my mind moves fast anyway, but in this split second, I saw all these scenarios. I was like a superhero in a moment. And I saw this, I saw, oh my goodness, I'm gonna be Chipper Jones, I'm gonna win this game, I'm gonna catch this ball. And then another thought at the same time said, oh my goodness, that ball's gonna hit me in the face. And I didn't have a lot going on for me in middle school, but I had a cute face. I mean, that was probably the only thing that's gonna help me get a date to middle school dances. I mean, I was a little chubby, I was not fast, but I had a cute face. And so in that moment, I'm like, I'm gonna be Chipper Jones. I'm gonna win the game. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna break my nose. And so you know what I did? I ducked. <laughs> but in my haste to duck, I covered my cute face with my glove, and the ball landed in my glove. <laughs> it was amazing. It was, they came, the game was over, they picked me up, we got our free Cokes. It was just like the best thing ever. And y'all, I did not think life could ever get any better than that moment. It had reached its peak. It was okay, it was great, and that was it for me. It was the best moment of my life. Well, it was, it, now wedding day for sure. But before that, <laughs> it was that moment. As we turn to our text this morning, I feel like Peter, James, and John might look back on the experience that we just read after it happened and thought, that was an amazing moment. It might have been the best moment of their lives. This is an incredible story, and particularly not just for us, the readers, and what happens to Jesus, but if you are Peter, James, and John in this story, you are encountering and witnessing something fantastic. They go up on this mountain to pray. They've been working hard with all the other disciples. They've been serving, and they've been moving, and remember, they don't have cars, so they're walking from town to town. And when the Bible says often Jesus would go up on a mountain to pray or would retreat, it was to refuel. We all need that time every now and then, right? Summer, hopefully, has been that for some of us. You get a chance to get away for a day or two or an afternoon and pray. And they go up on this mountain to pray, and then something miraculous happens. They're getting ready to almost like fall asleep, and then all of a sudden they look over, and Jesus is glowing white. And then two dead people are on either side of him. And as we've read this story probably before, it's called the story of transfiguration, you might have you know, read it, oh, that's cool, a miracle happened. But imagine if, imagine if that happened today. Imagine if you're in this moment where you're gonna go up on a hike with some of your friends. Let's say, all right, me and Mark Fillers and Mandy Conkle and Wayne Rayner, the, three, the four of us all are gonna go on this hike, right? We go up on this hike and we're getting kind of tired and all of a sudden then me and Mark and Mandy, we look over and Wayne is just glowing. He had turned into like this like bright light just flashing off of Wayne. And then all of a sudden, two dead people are on either side of Wayne like George Washington and Elvis Presley, either side of Wayne, right there. And we're witnessing this, and we're like, what is happening? But we think it's amazing, right? They thought it was amazing, not just because Jesus was glowing white, but because of who those people were, Moses and Elijah. It was important for them to say it was a Moses and Elijah because Jesus was the fulfillment of the law, which is represented by Moses. The first five books of the Bible are called the Torah, which in English means the law, and that's how people were, had access to God in the Old Testament. So Jesus is fulfilling the law, and he's fulfilling all the prophecies of the Old Testament that said a Messiah is to come. So Elijah represents the prophets. So it's the two patriarchs, two of the biggest people in Israelite history are standing on either side of Jesus. And they're there in the moment, and they're witnessing all these things happen. 
And then Peter says, let's just stay here forever. It's amazing here. Why do we ever want to leave here? This is like the sweetest season of my life. It can't get any better. Like, I have reached the mountaintop. And did you catch what the Bible said? It had that parenthetical statement. It did not know, he did not know what he was saying. So did not know what he was saying. Because I feel like we can all identify a lot with Peter in this moment. I'm sure James and John probably felt similarly. God has said, this is my son, my chosen. You know you're following the right person. You've picked the right guy. This is Jesus. He is God's son. And you're there with Moses and Elijah. And he says, let's just build three dwelling places. Let's just stay here. It's amazing. Why would we ever want to leave this place? It's so awesome. Life is at its peak in this moment. I think this story has a lot to say about my first four weeks at Dauphin Way because I can identify with Peter. And I think it has a lot to say about us as a church. There's a ton to glean from this text, but in particular, I wanna focus on a few things. The first is we are part of a great cloud of witnesses. We have a rich tradition. We are part of a great cloud of witnesses. What that means is that we are not coming into our faith for the first time on our own. We're not the first people to ever think the thoughts we think. We're not the first people to ever have the struggles we have. We're not the first church to do good ministry in the world. We're not the first church to have the growing edges we do so that we can continue doing great work in this world. Things you might think about yourself or about your experiences, you are not alone. And sometimes I always think that I am, like nobody can understand me. Nobody understands my problems. Nobody understands my, my thoughts. I'm the one, you know, I just, I'm so proud. I've got these new thoughts. But there are 2,000 years worth of church tradition of people a lot smarter than me thinking thoughts that I'm just now coming into. And there are 2,000 years of Christians doing incredible work in this world, and we get to be a part of that. And to me, that is so fantastic. Elijah and Moses are there not just to represent what Jesus is fulfilling, but to me a testament to the fact that there's a rich tradition, a cloud of witnesses that went before the work that was happening in that moment. And now we see them as part of our great cloud of witnesses. Your friends and family members who have gone on to glory before us are part of that great cloud of witnesses. Anytime we remember the things that they taught us or the ways in which they lived in our lives and how they inspired us to be who we are, we have a rich tradition, and I'm very grateful for that. And that's really where we spent our first two weeks during this series, looking back and being thankful for what this church has done for the past 100 plus years, being thankful for all the compassion ministries and other things going on in this present moment that this church is doing now. But I think this text also has this idea in it that I resonate with. We get the idea that the present and the past can seem perfect, can't they? Have you ever experienced that? Peter was so enamored with that present moment that he did not want it to end. He did not ever want to leave the mountain. And I don't fault Peter, because in a special season, you, you don't want it to end. Every day of the past four months, I felt like I'm still on vacation, because this transition has been so amazing. You all have been so amazing. We have felt so loved and cared for and provided for. It has been fantastic. And it's like, I'm afraid of what's going to come next, because everything right now is so sweet. Some of those things might be in your own life as well. Maybe you're in a season right now that's just so wonderful and, and you're anxious about what it might look like when school starts back or when this season of life is over. The present can seem 
wonderful at times. Sometimes it doesn't, though. Sometimes we're in seasons where we wish we were in the past because things are really tough right now, because we're struggling with difficulties, with circumstances beyond our control, with things that cause stress and anxiety that bring fear to our lives. And we think back on a past that was perfect. We think back, if I could just go back to that season before my kids left home and, and went off to college, if I could go back to that job I used to have, if I could go back to the way that relationship used to be, if I could go back to the way life was before my family member passed away, we look at the past and imagine it being perfect. And we're anxious about the future. Or maybe we're anxious about the present. We get in these seasons where we're, we're either so happy with what's going on or so wishful about what was going on before that we have great anxiety about what comes next. Like Peter, we don't wanna leave the mountaintop or we yearn for that mountaintop experience. I'm not gonna lie. I think as a pastor, it's important for me to convey and to live into the type of environment and culture that we wish to cultivate here. And, and for me, that is being authentic and vulnerable and transparent. I wanna be a pastor for you who lets you know what's going on and not just some sort of pastor mystique, like there's this fourth wall and I'm just gonna preach and then like that's all you're gonna know of me. I think we should be a community of people that show transparency, that are real with one another. That's what a lot of us do in these small groups we're in. And so it'd only be fair for me to do that as well if that's what we hope to cultivate. And so I had some anxiety about coming here. And it wasn't because I didn't think this was a great church. It's because the season of life we were in was so sweet. My sister and her, and her um, husband and their daughter, um, Hazel, they, we all for a year and a half shared a house and then they lived, whenever they had to move out when they had a kid, they just moved across the street. We call it the, Jillian's already started calling it the sitcom years because it's like everybody loves Raymond where the family's always at each other's house sharing meals and hanging out. Like That was our life for almost four years and Brianna's family was just down the street across the town a little bit. She grew up in that town, and so I had some anxiety about leaving that because it was such a sweet season. And so there were nerves for me, just like there were nerves for Peter, not wanting to leave that season. I'm not gonna lie, also, I had some fear. I don't know if fears are, but just some anxiety about coming here and following Brad, because Brad is awesome. You know Brad is awesome. I know Brad is awesome. And, and he's such a good friend that more than, I wasn't sure if I could live into what he's done, I, I just, I didn't wanna let him down, right? because he's, he's just my friend. And if you have friends in your life, you wanna do what you can do so that they think what you're doing is good work. And so as we live into the work that he and Robin and Jeff and so many people did here before us, I had that anxiety of can I be the pastor that I'm supposed to be, even knowing that this is where God's called me, even knowing that we have your support and y'all have been amazing, and even knowing that he was telling me the whole time, it's gonna be great, you're gonna love it. And I knew all these things, but there's a human element of me that I could not get rid of all the time. I could get past it, but every now and then it would sneak up because the, the future can cause great anxiety, can it not? And the present and the past can seem perfect. But you know what? Despite how comfortable the present felt, the Lord did not let Peter stay on that mountain. Though the present was sweet, God was not done. And the greatest part of the gospel story did not begin until they came down off that mountain. The greatest part of the gospel story is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And had they never come down off that mountain, they would not have experienced the best that God had for them. The next part of the story. And friends, I think the same is true for you, for me, 
and for Dauphin Way. Things have been amazing here. These, these past four weeks, we have felt your love and hospitality. We know this is an amazing church. We have got to learn about the, the incredible history that has gone on here for over 100 years. God has done incredible things here. And recently, God has been doing incredible things here. But God is not done yet. God has great things in store for you and for me as we live into the future that God has for us. I'm gonna go ahead and wrap up and the band's gonna come back on stage and, and, and we're gonna take communion today. And as we do that, before we do, I wanna share with you a few of the dreams that I have been, that have just been percolating in my mind. The prayers that I've been having with God this is how I've been dreaming forward. And dreaming forward just means being excited and anticipating the future God has for us. Dreaming forward, not just dreaming about the past. And here's some of the, maybe you've been dreaming forward as well. Actually, I know a number of you are because as a staff, we've been dreaming forward in some of our, our planning meetings. We have a new worship planning team. Each week, we're dreaming forward. We had these onboardings with, with all the staff together where we were learning about each other, where we were dreaming forward. I've visited small groups at so many of your houses that have been fantastic, and, and you've been dreaming forward. I've talked to a number of you at lunches about the dreams you have for this church, and you're dreaming forward. And so let's let these dreams become our prayers as well the things we pray for as we move into the future that God has for us. I pray that one day every person who walks through the doors of this worship center and of this entire church will feel loved and welcomed here just as I have felt loved and welcomed here. That we will have a welcome center, a, an area that is staffed by people who just want to make the love of Jesus Christ known to every single person who walks through these doors. Because I've experienced it, and so many of you have experienced it. And so my prayer is that there will never be one person who walks in here who doesn't leave here knowing that they are loved. I pray that every person within a five-mile radius of this church knows that Dauphin Way is a place they can turn to. They can know that they are loved, and they can find support and help. Kathy told us a story the other day that they were visiting an area just across the street. You can still see the steeple. And she was telling them about some aid that we provide here if they needed any help. And they said, where is Dauphin Way? And you can literally see the steeple. And so I pray that every single person within a five-mile radius, at least, let's start there, knows that they can come to Dauphin Way as a place of love, support, and help. I pray that we become a church, and we are a church. We live into this life of a church where we become members in the church, and we take our membership at the same level of seriousness that we do our social groups and civic organizations. I'm ashamed to say, friends, that when I was in my fraternity in college, I treated my membership in my fraternity more serious than I treated my membership in my church. I was fine paying dues to the fraternity and I was fine going to all of our events and never missing a chapter meeting while all the while struggling to make it to worship on a Sunday morning, while all the while never paying a tithe because I was just using the excuse, I'm a college student, I don't have to. But I was still giving money to my, I, I'm ashamed of that, I am. And I pray that for the rest of my life, I'll be a member of a church this says, this is the most important thing in my life, and my priority is my faith. I pray that all of us will live into that church as Jesus dreamed it for us. I pray we get to the point where we never have to do a stewardship campaign again. And not just because of money, not just because I want us to all be tithing, but because the stewardship becomes part of our DNA. 
This piece of our lives where we say, you know what? We're gonna give our time, our talents, our gifts, our services, and our witnesses to serve Jesus. And so with that prayer, I pray we never have to ask for volunteers for anything. That we just, part of who we are as Christians is wanting to be with the other people, serving alongside of others. Wanting to be the people in this community and in this church who say, God, here I am, Use me. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, for thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them be a ceaseless praise. Did that become our DNA in who we are? I pray we get to the point where this 1030 traditional worship service, this 1030 contemporary service cannot hold all the people who want to worship God together. I pray that we have to figure out new ways of doing worship. One of my biggest prayers is that all of us become people who are unafraid to share our faith. I'm a person who sometimes is afraid to share my faith even as a pastor in certain settings. Maybe it's with my friends from college. Maybe it's with new people in a grocery store. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying go stand on a street corner and yell at people. I'm not talking about hand out tracks. I'm talking about just being, you know, saying, hey, I go to Dothan Way. I love Jesus. Let me tell you about that. Hey, are you going to church anywhere? Hey, are you okay? Sharing my faith in a real and transformational way. I pray, my dream is we become a church full of people who wanna go out and tell the whole world about Jesus because I believe, and as I think you all believe as well, a life lived with Jesus is better than a life without Jesus. And so I pray we become a church who goes to tell everybody about how wonderful God is and all the great things God has done in our life and all the great things God is doing in and through Dauphin Way. That's my prayer for this church. I pray. Amen. I pray that we never forget God. This is my, the last thing I'll share is this. That we never get so busy doing things that we forget why we're doing them. That we want to come to worship because God is here. Can you feel the Holy, presence, the Holy Spirit's presence in this room this morning? God is here. God is with us. God is now and present and I never wanna miss a Sunday here. I wanna be with you all worshiping God. I don't wanna miss chances to be in a small group with you. I wanna be with you and with God. I wanna go out and serve, but not just because I want good things to happen, but because I know that when I do that, the Holy Spirit is working in and through me, and so it is God who is with me and God who is with all of us. So I pray that we become a church, that we are a church, that we continue to be a church that is making disciples who make a difference and that we do it with our entire lives, with everything we are, that is my prayer. And so friends, I don't believe these are empty hopes and wishes that God has placed on our hearts. I believe these are achievable things. I believe this is the future we get to live into. And we don't have to be nervous. We don't have to be anxious because we know that God is with us. And if God is with us, who can be, a, be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? And so let us go triumphantly into this victorious future where we know God is with us. Will you pray with me? God, as we prepare to receive communion, we confess that we have not always heard the cry of the needy. We have not always 
done your will. We have broken your law, and so we repent of those things now. Before we come to this table, we repent and say, God, there have been times in our lives where we have not lived into the life you've called us to. So forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience to you, our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to be the people you've called us to be. Help us to be the church you want us to be. Help us to go forward making your name known, your presence known in this entire city, this entire world. God, we are grateful that you've called us and that you love us. You are our God and we are your people.